following activity is brought to you by the American Urological Association. The American Urological Association is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. To learn how to claim CME credit for participation in this activity or to view faculty disclosures, please visit the AUA University at auau.auanet.org. Support for this activity is provided by independent educational grants from Astellas, Bayer Healthcare Pharmaceuticals, Inc., Genentech, Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, Merck, and Pfizer, Inc. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jay Raman, and I'm professor of urology and chair of the AUA's Office of Education. Um, it's really my pleasure to help moderate this podcast series on engaging disparities in prostate cancer care. This specific show is really titled, How Can We Improve Chair Decision-Making? And really looking at it from a prostate cancer survivor's perspective. It's my pleasure to uh, have two very well-known guests, uh, Michael Haynes, as well as Willie Underwood. Um, Mike Haynes is a prostate cancer survivor. He played in the National Football League as cornerback for both uh, the New England Patriots, as well as the Los Angeles Raiders, and was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1997. Uh, Dr. Underwood has done several of these programs with us. Uh, but as a reminder, he's the director of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity and volunteer clinical associate professor of urology at the University of Buffalo. He has really done an extensive amount of work looking at uh, research interests pertaining to prostate cancer, disparities in therapy, and has been funded through numerous different agencies, including the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the National Cancer Institute, the National Institute of Health and has really defined himself as, as a thought leader in this field. Um, Mike, uh, Willie, really, first of all, thank you for taking some time and being part of this really important uh, podcast uh, series. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. You know, I know, uh, you know, being a survivor myself, I know how important it is to, to talk to people and try to uh, get, you know, raise the awareness and a lot of people are sleeping right now mentally when it comes to this disease. So um, I'm glad we got Willie on the line. That's great. So, I mean, Mike, maybe we'll just start with you. And, and, and I feel like one of the, the great challenges is obviously when maybe physicians or healthcare providers talk about screening, got to get screened, importance of screening, um, how much that sometimes resonates with, with patients. So, Maybe we'll just start off and, and take us through a little bit of your story, uh, how this all came about, how you're diagnosed, and, and sort of set the framework for us so that we can then maybe use that as a springboard for, for the rest of our conversation. Well, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to pro football players, I think uh, a lot of them think the same way I do about healthcare and everything. And um, I know when we were doing this screening at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I had already had a physical earlier in the year, really no real reason to be there. Uh, but my boss who was overseeing all of this asked me to go down and take a look and see how things were going. Uh, and because I had a physical earlier in the year, that's why I really wasn't there. It wasn't 
planning to go. Um, but um, once I got there, I saw the guys just hanging around, um, enjoying themselves. And these, of course, the, the girls who were working there, these two young ladies uh, who were, you know, drawing the blood, um, asked me if I wanted to do it because maybe I could encourage some of these other guys to get involved and they would do it. I said, sure. And um, so my real reason for doing it is because those were two really cute girls. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and so, and then after doing that, uh, you know, maybe 25 minutes later, uh, you know, while I'm talking to the guys, Dr. Underwood comes out and he's like, Mike Haynes, he has a chart, my chart in his hand and calling my name. And um, that, was the, that was the fear, I think, of a lot of players going to those kind of events. Um, so he could see something in my facial expression. Um, and he said, oh, no, no, you don't have to worry. This, this test, we can't tell. Just want to ask you a bunch of questions, you know. Uh, and that, that relieved me. And so um, I, I told the guys I'd be right back. And so Will, Dr. Underwood asked me a lot of questions about my family history, uh, and, um, you know, if it ran in my family and what I knew about prostate cancer. And, uh, and so I, you know, I was trying to answer all of his questions, honestly, but the one question or comment that he made that got my attention is when he said that, you know, a lot of African-American men, uh, usually find out they have this disease and because of the, their, um, lack of, you know, interest in going to screenings or participating in screenings, a lot of times when they find out it's in the later stages. Uh, and so uh, that got my attention. And uh, of course he had me after that. And I think I'm a, I'm a typical, I'm a typical, maybe I'm a typical male, but I'm definitely a typical football player, you know, uh, when it comes to thinking about uh, our health. Like, I don't want to know. I used to say, hey, look, if I have this disease, I don't want to know. Just let me go, you know, just let me go peacefully. But, um, you know, finding out early, uh, in, in the early stages, which allowed me, now this is almost like 15 years ago now, you know, I may not be here if, if, if uh, Dr. Underwood uh, hadn't uh, talked to me and uh, realized that, you know, being African-American, maybe he might have to say a few extra things to me that he may not have to say to other guys. Um, but that, that raised my attention and, and it has actually helped me to want to help other guys because I know it's not an easy thing to get guys to pay attention to this. Um, and um, I, I want them to find out in the early stages so that they can have the same kind of results I did. So, you know, Willie, maybe maybe take me through. I think Mike hit on some of the key points, right? And whether it's a football player or any other male, the reality is, you know, I think men in general, you feel fine. Uh, and there are no major problems. You know, we, there is a stigma around um, health evaluation, screening and whatnot. And, and maybe take me through a little bit of, about, you know, how you have these conversations, uh, say with a mic, for example, or anybody else, uh, how do you get them from a screening and the purpose of a screening and, and get them involved in understanding the significance of, you know, what he was going through, where, I, I, as he said, he had two cute girls and he had a blood test because of that, but then get him from there to this is sort of why we're doing it and the, 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 obviously the significance that, that it can occur. Yeah, thank you, Jay. And, and again, I want to thank the AUA for, for doing this because this is extremely important. So, you know, the, the, I think the real key is building a connection, right? And, and trying to get to where we're all want to go. 
everyone, I believe, for the most part, want to live long. They want to be healthy. They want to be around for their families. They want to contribute. They, you know, people, these are natural feelings that we have because we all want to feel important and be important, right? So, so in that process, if we just keep it sterile and say, look, the PSA does this, you need to do this, how come you're not doing that? Then we sort of do the exact opposite of what we want, I think. And the key is to really, let's try to figure out, connect, let's meet people where they are, and let's have a conversation to the point that in the end that they want to do it, right? You know, Mike, and again, Mike was easy. I mean, to be honest, our conversation, he, he remembers it a lot better than I do. I remember it being a lot shorter and, 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 and a lot more things, you know, but, 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 the, but the end of it, end of the conversation was, you know, this is what your PSA today was. He said, well, I had one a few months ago. And I said, look, talk to your provider, find out what it was. And if it's increased significantly, then follow up, right? Sort of push this a little bit. And that's sort of really what he did, right? Um, um, and, and, and out of that came, you know, for me, it was a, my blessing to be a part of it, but also we became friends out of this whole process. So that's really the real blessing here. And, and, but, but that's sort of the key, Jay. I think, how do we build connections with, with our patients and how do we become partners in the process? And that's what shared decision-making is, shared, right? That, the, that both parties give their input, give their information, give their knowledge, and they reach a decision that's not necessarily best for the provider, but it's truly best for the person who's great, who's most impact, you know, by, you know, by the disease, right? So maybe Willie, a related question I'd ask you is, um, how do you apply this sort of concept of shared decision-making? Let's just start to take maybe underrepresented minority populations and, um, and, and that may be a very and probably is a vastly different shared decision making than perhaps other ethnicities, other races. So maybe just walk us through how do you do it? What, what do you do as, as a, a black African-American physician uh, when you engage with, say, a black African-American patient? What is that shared decision making conversation and, and, and how is that perhaps different? So I, I don't think it's different. I think the process is the same. Uh, how you explain it may be different. It depends on the education of the person and where they're coming from. But the, but the first thing is for me to understand the person and for the person to understand me, right? You know, my wife always says, you know, building trust, you know, is number one, right? So we can build, or I can build trust. And, and if I can recognize when I'm saying things that the person is not connecting with, whether they don't understand it or they don't agree with it or it just doesn't fit them, Right. And sort of shifting that, because in the end, it's not to try to get them to think like me. It's to get them to think the way they want to think, to reach a goal that they want. Now, their goals might not be my goals. Right. I'll give, I'll give you a quick example. I was talking to a friend of mine who's recently been diagnosed with with prostate cancer. I understand him. I know him well, I understand his situation. And what he really needs is two years to get. He just got a new job, a great job. And he's trying to build this thing and he needs two years to do it. So what I told him was, tell that, tell your physician that, right? Say to him, hey, what I'm really trying to do is get two years. So how do we create a process of so-called active surveillance during a two-year period that allows me to get to where I need to go, where I feel comfortable receiving surgery at that time, right? Is that possible? Is that feasible? It may not be feasible, right? It may not be possible. And if it is possible, what does that look like? 
that's shared decision making. So, so Mike, you, you sort of started off and you talked about you, you had this elevated PSA test and the screening, and, and I'm sure that then led down the, the process of getting a biopsy, and, and obviously that, that, that showed well, cancer. Wait, well, I, I, didn't, I don't know that I had an elevated PSA. Oh, it was not. Okay. Okay. So uh, I had, my PSA was 3.5. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so I didn't know what I had earlier. So when, when Dr. Unwood was talking to me about it, I all I knew. Um, and um, and so when he, he encouraged me to talk to my doctor. And so when I did, he asked me about my PSA. What was it? I said 3.5. He said, well, when you were here before, it was 3.0. And he goes, well, that's not much of an elevated PSA. And then he thought about it for a minute and he said, but you know, you are African American. I think we need to be safe. Let's let's take um, let's get you a biopsy and make sure. And uh, I said okay, but I really only said okay because I didn't know what a biopsy was. I thought it was going to be like another blood test. <laughs> I didn't really know what was involved because if he said, oh, you know, it's not much of an elevated uh, PSA, then I probably wouldn't have done anything. Mm. But because I didn't know. I went ahead and, and had the biopsy, and um, that was one heck of an experience um, that, um, that I wish. Is, there a, is, it, is that still the same way they're doing biopsies? Because I think that um, if it is, and I, I think we need to tell guys that, you know, it's, the biopsy is important. And, and um, I don't know that I would have shown up if, because he was saying, oh, 3.0 to 3.5, that's not much of an increase. That might have been enough to get me not to to go for the biopsy but but when he added well you are african-american i think just to be on the safe side that helped me um go you know go along with the process and i had the biopsy that day um and that's when i found out i had prostate cancer i had it in nine of the 12 places that they checked on my prostate it's interesting what you say because you know obviously those of us that do biopsies all day long from the from the the medical provider physician perspective we don't we don't think anything about it but clearly although the the biopsy clearly identified cancer and, the, and obviously the cancer was in multiple areas you, you know, one wonders whether part of this sort of shared decision making is what is a biopsy what does that entail um and 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 maybe less of the the perhaps shock value of while the biopsy is going on the procedure itself just just from what you're mentioning, so so then tell me t take us through a little bit you have this diagnosis, and and Willie's talked a little bit about making a connection and, and being able to have the patient understand um, what you know what the options are and and ultimately help make a decision about what treatment path to go down. So maybe walk us through a little bit of this. You have this diagnosis. You have nine out of 12, I think is what you mentioned. Biopsies were positive. How did the, the subsequent steps work through this process? And how did your sort of physician work with you in, in, in that discussion point? Well, when he told me that I, I he called me actually to say, come to his office uh, and uh, to give me the results of the tests. And he encouraged me to bring my wife. So right away, I knew that this was not going to be good, you know. Uh, my wife came, and then first thing out of his mouth was, "Well, you were positive. You 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 have prostate cancer." I don't think I heard anything he said for the next five minutes, um, but my wife was listening intently, um, and I was thinking, "Oh my gosh, 
And he goes, he says, the good news is we got it early. And that, that really helped me. I settled down a little bit. But then I started thinking, oh, I think he's just saying that. He probably says that to everybody so they don't freak out, you know, uh, and go crazy on this. And so, um, so I said, I want it out. You know, I just interrupted him. I said, I want it out. I want it out. Uh, and he says, Mike, you're, 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 you're catching it in the early stages. You've got plenty of time to make a decision. And I want to encourage you to learn more and, you know, take your time and all that. So, so that's really what I did. Um, and I started calling, I called the AUA uh, and they said um, um, to, uh, you know, where did I want to see a doctor or where do I, where do I want to have the surgery or whatever it is I wanted to do. But they gave me a lot of information about the different programs that, you know, different ways that I could have resolved it. Uh, and then I, talking to some of my coworkers at the NFL, there were a few guys I knew that had had prostate cancer. Uh, and, you know, some were, um, you know, I, they didn't have as much as I had. So they, they, they were e easily took another process. Um, but the, the good news is I had time. And, um, uh, and I, I was very secretive about it. I don't know why. I didn't want people feeling sorry for me, I guess. And um, on an airplane flying back from San Diego to New York, uh, a woman just happened to be sitting next to me. Um, we just started talking and uh, I said, out of the blue, like, yeah, hey, I was just diagnosed with prostate cancer. I was trying not to make a big deal out of it. And she said, oh, I'm an oncology nurse. Mm. I'm going, oh, wow, what a small world. Mm. So then I felt like I could open up and, uh, and we talked and she was the one that made me feel really good. She said, oh, well, you know, with that Gleason, you know, you, you caught it early. Um, you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. You got plenty of time to make a you know, a, a, a good decision. I'm going. Oh, okay, great. Uh, and so that helped me feel better because I felt before that everybody was just trying to make me feel comfortable, and I felt better um, hearing from her. The best thing that happened to me is is Dr. Underwood. You know, I, I think um, really him being an African American helped me. You know, if it, if he wasn't an African American. Um, uh, you know, and he was talking to me about this stuff. I don't know that I would have followed up, but his his concern, um, because he's an African-American and I'm an African-American, his concern kind of made me, I mean, when I got back to, uh, to New York from Canton, Ohio, the next day I called the doctor and said, hey, I, I'm not, I need to talk to you. I just had this, this screening and, uh, you know, we need to talk. So I was on it right away. It was on my mind and it was because of him. And that's why I like, I'm always asking now, um, do you have to be an African-American doctor to talk to African-American men, you know, uh, or, you know, what I, you know, cause I, I don't really know, you know, I, you know, you guys probably have tons of research on that uh, and have some thoughts on it, but it made a huge difference for me. Uh, and I think it would for a lot of African-American men I trusted him because of he's an African American, and um, I don't know that I don't know that I would have had the same situation if it, if it wasn't for him. Willie, to Mike's sort of point that he just raised here, um, maybe talk to us a little bit about uh, to his specific point. I mean, African American urologist or physician, African American patient, or or even sort of this concordance of race, whether it's African American or or otherwise. Um, that sort of connection, that trust. Um, and I think there is some literature and data out on that. Maybe yeah. you can share with us sort of to Mike's point, what, what we have out there. 
Yeah, there's some next some significant data there. Uh, there's a study, and uh, it's not Armstrong. Uh, her name comes to mind, so it's sort of the key. But uh, significant study we looked at 500. But we looked at 500 um, people, couple individuals, male and female, and they uh, had white doctors and black physicians and black and white patients, and they basically saw that concordance of race was extremely important, particularly for the for the black patients, that they felt more satisfied with the with the decision. That they felt more satisfied. Sorry about that. Felt more satisfied with the interaction and the decision, and that was extremely important. And there are other studies that looked at Hispanics, looked at blacks and whites, the same thing. And he's basically shown that. Um, so Cooper, Patricia Cooper, that's who it is. Uh, her study, a new study, this was published in JAMA years ago. But there are multiple studies that looked at patient satisfaction, patient's outcomes, patient decision making around concordance. So, so yes, the data is there. What we don't understand is why, right? What, which difference does it make? Because the data also shows that when it's a black physician and white patients, that that disconcordance does not have a negative impact on the white patients, but disconcordance have a negative impact on black patients, right? So, so some of it is really, I think, what Mike is sort of maybe saying is that what he felt was that I cared about him, that when I saw him, I saw myself, which is true, right? That, that I wanted him to have the best outcome possible. And that's extremely important to me. Now, that doesn't mean that white doctors don't feel that, right? It, it may mean that they're unable or haven't figured out how to relay that, how to get that connection so that the person feels who's black that, yeah, you might not look like me. You might not have my same background, right? But we're the same. We're connected and you care about me. And, and, that's, and that's what's really extremely important. And that's what's really, I believe, is extremely important with patient satisfaction, right? Um, and, and, and that's why I think that it doesn't matter if it's a black physician and a white patient, but it seems to matter. Some other got muted, white physician and a black patient. So uh, one of the things that Mike mentioned is, is uh, he went to the visit with his wife, and as soon as he heard the word prostate cancer, at least for some period of time, he didn't hear very much else, right? And that, that, that sort of highlights maybe two key things, which is maybe, Willie, talk to us a little bit about uh, the support infrastructure um, and, and how that impacts care, meaning uh, coming to these visits and going through this if it was just Mike Haynes or Mike Haynes and his wife or his children or his family, and and also um, sort of the, the the importance on it. Well, let's start with that. Uh, talk to us a little bit about sort of the importance of that support network and 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 how you put that into the framework of counseling and shared decision making. So so I generally t tell men or patients to bring someone else to bring someone, and and we know that if you're single. Uh, that your likelihood of receiving treatment is less than if you're married. Uh, we know that, and it's particularly if you're black and single, you're less likely to receive treatment, uh, even if you have a high-grade prostate cancer. So, so having people bring someone else is extremely important. And what I tell people, two brains remember more than one. Four ears are better than two, okay, right? 
Um, and then sometimes patients will say, is it okay if I take the, the, the interaction? I tell them, yes. Is it okay if I take notes? Yes. I draw pictures for them and give it to them, right? I give them whatever needs so that they can connect. Now, and this is another thing, and this is really important. If I feel as though that we're not connecting or that I can see it in their eyes or in their spirit that they're not in a good place, I will, I will say, let's reconvene. Let's schedule another appointment. Why don't you look at A, B, C, and D and come back in a month, right? The, the good thing about prostate cancer is that it's not pancreatic cancer. We don't have to make a decision because days and weeks and months matter, right? We know that you, you have time. So the key is to get to the person where they want to be, right? So how do you do that? I mean, I've had patients where, I mean, literally, they have had five visits before they made their mind up, right? <laughs> I've had people call me on my cell. Like I had one guy, no joke. I was down in, and the reason I remember it, because I was at Disney, okay, down in Florida with my daughter. And the guy called me five times on a Saturday. And then finally, I told him, I said, you know, I'm sorry, man, but I'm, my daughter is standing here. And we're actually at Disney Park. And uh, can, I, can I talk to you on another day? Right? And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'm really scared. And I said, I, I understand. Right? But, but let's talk tomorrow. Okay? Right? He was like, okay with that. Right? So, so yes, sometime, sometime we have to go beyond, right, uh, in some cases to get people to help people get to where they want to go. Okay. And that's the key. I keep emphasizing that to where they want to go. And because in the end, the satisfaction comes from that they have reached their goals, their desires, not necessarily my goals or my desires or, or what we may think is right or wrong, but it's sort of what they want. Right. And they, and in the end, they've gotten all the information. So they're not, if they end up with erectile dysfunction, they're not complaining about that because they knew it and understood it going in and they were willing to risk that. Right. You know, the worst thing is to have someone who, who, who doesn't do that. I had a friend of mine, uh, his, his sister and my mother were best friends until they died. Uh, he got diagnosed with prostate cancer and he, you know, he, he was getting cryotherapy. And he said the reason he was getting cryotherapy was because it had the lowest risk of erectile dysfunction when cryotherapy has 100% risk of erectile dysfunction, nearly. And um, I, I said, what? Hold up. <laughs> you know, I don't, and, I, and, and that's what he thought, right? And that's what he understood. So then when we walked through everything, he realized that that wasn't what he wanted and that he th then he wanted surgery and surgery is what he's gotten and he's been happy with it. So, so Mike, you, you had your, your surgery, what, was it 2008? Is that when you had surgery? I believe so, yes. So you're now, what, 13, well, probably close to 13, if not more, over 13 years out. Yeah. yeah. And so my, my question for you is now that you're, you're through this, and obviously you mentioned as soon as you got the diagnosis, you said surgery, I want it out, uh, let's move. And now that you've had some time to reflect back on that journey, um, is there anything that you can advise maybe our listeners on what would have been better in the, this whole shared decision-making concept? What would have been good for you to know? Um, and maybe there isn't anything, but, but usually there is. But, but what would have been nice to know 13 years later as you went through this process, whether it was timing, 
counseling opinions, second opinions? Is there anything you look back and say, geez, this is what I would advise others that were in my shoes to, to think about or ask questions about? Well, I think the thing that I would like is that other men that are survivors, that they don't just keep it a secret. You know, um, like when I found out that I had it, I thought, I don't know one single solitary man that has prostate cancer, but you're telling me there's a guy, a lot of guys out there that have it. And um, once I was diagnosed and I started telling people because I didn't want to be, I wanted to be helpful in the end. I mean, I really wanted to know a lot. And, and, and I started talking to people. Um, one of my coaches had it. Um, one of the, uh, uh, some Hall of Famers have had it. Um, and then uh, one of the Hall of Famers talked to me, told me about his situation and how, believe it or not, he said it's, you know, he's really great. And so every year at the Hall of Fame, we started having these screenings. That was the very first year they did it when I found out. So now they're doing it every year. And the next year, my buddy told me that, guess what? It came back for him. His <laughs> prostate cancer had come back. So that was an aha moment for me, too. So that meant that I needed to continue to stay on top of it. Um, make sure if it does come back, I find out I have it again in the early stages. So that was really, really helpful. Um, and when I started telling, talking about my experience, a lot of men would tell me, I just was at an event last night. Uh, and, and, um, I tell, I talk about it all the time. I try to make it common and, you know, to talk about it so that other guys would talk about it. And as I said it, one guy walked up and said, yeah, I'm, I'm a survivor. And I go, really, how long? He goes, Oh, right now, I just had the surgery six months ago, and I'm going, wow. And so I know exactly what he's going through. And there's just too many people for me to, to ask him a lot of questions. I know it wasn't something he really wanted to talk about, but I was proud and happy that he mentioned it right then on the spot. He didn't pull me to the side to tell me. He just said it. You know, yeah, I'm a survivor. I've been, you know, had surgery six months ago. And um, I just think that that's really it. How do we normalize it? How can we just start talking about it a lot more? Um, you know, we had we had all these marches for women and breast cancer. You know, they're they're talking about it. They want you know everybody knows every man knows you know what breast cancer is, um, and what a symptom is. But when it comes to prostate cancer, guys didn't have any idea, you know, what a symptom of prostate cancer was, and uh, so I just think that's really. You know, going forward, I think that we need to do a better job of sharing that information um, and guys. But I, I kind of get it why that is, because in, in the past, um, a lot of guys weren't able to have, a you know, an erection um, and things like that. And they didn't want to publicize that, you know, so they just don't talk about it. But with, when uh, things change, like robotic surgery, uh, and now they can look on a big screen, they can see the nerves, you know, and they can cut all around it without ever, you know, hitting, well, they probably still have some accidents, you know, hitting the nerves. But, um, but I, I think that changed the game uh, for guys. And, and even if they didn't, there's still so many different things that they can do to, to, to have an erection, you know, that it, you know, but guys just don't want to talk about that stuff. And, uh, uh, and I get it. So, uh, but that's what I would do. I would, I would normalize. And that's what I do all the time. And when I do talk to guys, I always bring up the erection because I know that's the number one thing, you know, 
That's number one. And, uh, and I even say it in front of women, you know, and I say it in front of kids if I have to, because I, I try to make it seem like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Let's not hide this. Let's talk about it. Uh, and um, and it's, it's made a huge difference, I believe, in, in uh, my, my community and the people that I speak with. Willie, any sort of final thoughts just from a from a medical professional perspective on um, how can we get better? How can we improve on, on this from our end? I mean, Mike, Mike's topic of the key concept is normalizing it, right? Ma making it part of conversation. But what, what can we do from our end uh, in this realm? Yeah, I, he's, he's absolutely correct. The more we talk about it, the more people, others will talk about it, right? The more we, and there's a lot of physicians like myself who are prostate cancer survivors. Uh, we had to talk about it from both angles, from the provider angle and, and from the survivorship angle. We have to have as many conversations as we can. We should write about it more as op-ed pieces, share our experiences, get patients to share their experiences. And the more we do that, I think the more people will be open and thoughts and, and fear would leave, right? Have less fear because it's, it's important. Well, I really want to thank uh, both uh, Dr. Willie Underwood, as well as Mike Haynes for their time today. It, it's, it's, uh, I've now done three of these with Willie. It's always my pleasure. I feel like I learn something every time I do them. And, and Mike, obviously your perspective uh, as uh, not only uh, a survivor, but, but also obviously an advocate uh, is, is much appreciated both by, uh, by men in general, but, but certainly I, I'm sure you're, you're, you're echoing what many athletes uh, are, are going to or going through uh, in the future. I really want to thank you both for your time. Um, I would ask our listeners for any more information, please visit uh, auanet.org slash university. And uh, Mike and Willie, thanks again very much for your time today. Again, thank you very much. And thank the AUA for doing this. And Mike, Thank you, my man. It's always a pleasure, baby. Oh, man. I'm so glad you came into my life, Billy. So glad. Thanks, It's my man. blessing. Thank you. Jay, awesome job. Thanks a lot, Willie. Thanks, Mike.